Hello, Wigs and Snatchettes, and welcome back to another episode of the Snatch Podcast. You're here with the Dark Lord, the Prince of Northwest, <laughs> the Master of the Dark Arts himself. I had to think about that, actually. I'm not going to lie. Hewitt, uh, and I'm joined by my lovely and amazing um, and inspirational co-host. Uh, Latoya. Hey. Um, so, <laughs> so, as we said already, welcome back to another episode of the Snatch Podcast. We are still on season three, s- episode three. No, episode two. Three. I might need to redo this. I think again. it's three part po- three part <laughs> three. You're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I need to redo this again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back to yeah, that's it. Season three, Noir, Black, and Back Again. Episode three, part two. Part three. Oh, this is part three. <laughs> yeah. Mad, this is... Okay, cool. Welcome back to season three. Black. <laughs> you are black. I'm back again. Episode three, part three. Good morning, Black Britain. I got there in the end. Okay. I'm definitely going to have to sort that out. Uh, so, right. uh, yeah. Uh, but yes, um, talking about obviously, you know, the black experience definitely within kind of the working sector. So whether you work in retail or the corporate world, um, we've been exploring that over the past three parts. So if you are just tuning in to part three, I would definitely encourage or we definitely encourage uh, that you go back and just listen to part one and part two because you can obviously see uh, or feel or hear uh, the story building. So we're back with part three. Amazing. Yes. Got it right this time. But we'll part three. Um, and we're going to just basically just start to look at, like, actually, what can organisations do mm-hmm. to amplify the voices of, obviously, the underrepresented, so, the, you know, the BIPOC community or the BAME community or Black minority ethnic. Um, and then equally, the whole aspect of kind of, like, allyship as well. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, and this is going to be a question I'm going to throw to you, um, yeah. uh, Latoya, there's a lot of, um, you know, we throw around, like, allyship and this and that like in the workspace I feel mm-hmm. a lot without actually us really understanding what does allyship actually mean mm-hmm. right so I'm quite interested in this episode to find out from your perspective like mm-hmm. what does allyship mean to you um but again I think well obviously as I said we'll explore it in the in in coming up in in yeah. that episode but um I'm gonna read out a stat okay right just to kick us off so cool. uh there are only five fortune 500 ceos that are black and none of them are women Mm. right and i think yeah for sure i think there was another stat this stat was taken from um a uh a a management consultancy firm called corn ferry it's called race matters yeah that 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 was um published probably 2020 okay the date that those stats might not necessarily be as current Mm -hmm. but i think i saw another stat um a few days ago which actually said that four percent um of black minority ethnic um uh ceos are women in a Fortune 500 company. Wow. So, and I'm saying that, how does that make you feel as a black female mm. in the corporate world? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for you? You know, I've been having a lot of reflection, I guess, over this over the last couple of weeks because, uh, especially with us doing episodes and Black History Month kicking off and stuff, like, what does that mean to me? And what does that, what do, in an ideal world, what would that stat really look like? And I think what's really sad is that you know 
I think sometimes organizations use words like buzzwords. So they use buzzwords like diversity and they're going to be doing inclusion and inclusivity within their, their policies. And they're going to be looking at hitting figures, et cetera, um, by a certain point to improve the diversity of the workforce. And I think that you can improve the diversity of the workforce. I think most yeah. people who live in London and probably in major cities like Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool can say they probably work with someone who's Chinese or Asian or black within their their organization however mm. it's about leadership and about seeing people from minority groups being propelled into leadership whether that's mid-level senior or ceo management positions and i think that, yeah. that is you still have someone who's normally you know older white male most likely making decisions about what the the seniority of a company should look like um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you can be a really good workhorse, but we're not going to allow you to move up. And mm-hmm. obviously as a woman, that's double-edged because women in general, black, white, whatever, we have, we there are issues with us trying to get leadership positions anyway. But I think when you're someone who works in the corporate world, it's so disheartening to not see someone who is an ethnic minority. And I mean, from any group heading up an organisation um in the corporate world i think in, for example in industries like manufacturing um retail you can find asian ceos so i'm thinking of things like boohoo misguided you know they're yeah, headed up true. the khan family um they yeah. head it up and so, so you know that that exists in, within that sector because of course a lot of factories are based in india so it makes a lot of sense you know they yeah. have those links but in terms of finance law firms um you know higher education all of those sectors for some weird reason there's not a lot of black leadership and i'm Mm -hmm. i still have to ask why because i don't not believe people are going for those positions i really don't Mm -hmm. i think they are Mm -hmm. but for some reason there's always some niggling reason as to why they're not getting the job and i'm not understanding Mm -hmm. what that is and so therefore we we are having to be forced to make our own kind of black tech accelerators, um, black angel investors, because we're not being invested in by the white corporate world. And I don't have an answer as to why that's happening. I can I can say I, I have an idea as to why. And I do think unconscious bias plays a massive role, a massive part, sorry, into why we don't get those positions. Mm. However, I don't think you can put as much diversity training as you want into workplaces if the people at the top are not making it part of their mission statement to really break diversity um diversity structures that are really old if they're not making that effort to do that it's not going to change um Mm. and again we'll have to break off and make our own things so i don't really know i i think there are ceos of organizations and there's people who run their businesses but they're just not at that Fortune 500 level. They're doing it on a smaller scale, but they're not getting the mm. investment to scale up to become massive organisations or they're being bought out by white companies, white-owned CEO companies, and they're disappearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's quite sad, really. Um, 
but I don't know what are your thoughts. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know what? I think as to your point, it's very disheartening as a black man who inspires, aspires one day to mm. be, and I don't want to be a CEO. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm there, but in terms of, I aspire to climb the corporate ladder. Sure. Um, I think my, uh, I just want to get to a vice president and that's it. <laughs> and call it a date, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it is very disheartening when I go, when I go into organizations or I work for an organization where I don't necessarily see people who look like me. Mm. Um, I think there are two um, uh, black senior leaders in a global company that I work for. There's just two mm. um, out of, there's quite a few mm. vice presidents above or senior directors and above, right? Mm. So yeah, of course it's super disheartening. It makes me feel uh, that I cannot break through that concrete ceiling, mm. unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I think it's, a, I, I, I don't know, why yeah to your point mm. yeah, I think you know, unconscious bias is 100% at play I think there's an element where um uh behavior breeds behavior so I use that statement in terms of I think you know in the corporate world and in some corporate organizations you will have you know the, some of the people who hold those senior positions are white middle class able-bodied males so actually mm. what they're going to do is look for to fill the role or their successes, I should say, mm -hmm. are going to be white, able-bodied, heterosexual males. Mm. Uh, so behavior breeds behavior. And I think it's really about, really about organizations trying to break that cycle. So if you're looking at like, you know, your talent in your succession, and actually you know already that there's going to, that you don't necessarily have a fair representation of diversity, then you need to challenge and hold the business to account to increase the diversity and the representation in the workforce. Absolutely. But then equally, you really need to have those conversations with those leaders to be like, oh, okay, cool. You, it's a white man, Latoya's a black, uh, a black lady. They've been at the same level for the same time. They've got exactly the same experience. So why are you choosing you over Latoya? Mm. What is what what, what what is it that you demonstrates more or um, than Latoya? Or what does Latoya demonstrate less than? Yeah, I think that organisations need to be having those difficult conversations. I don't think that organisations are. I think now. Mm organizations are um, show a um uh, what do you call it uh, an aspect of maturity to be able to have this conversation mm -hmm. back in the day i don't necessarily think that was the case but yeah i think organizations definitely need to be having those sorts of conversations because um, i think that's massively important um and yeah as you said said you know definitely the whole aspect of unconscious bias like mm. that is a hundred and ten percent uh at play i think yeah, it, and you know what? It's so ingrained mm -hmm. that you don't even, as organisations, you don't even recognise where your unconscious bias sits and it sits within and it's removed like, it's not even... It's not even about the individuals or the hiring managers themselves. 110%, everyone has unconscious bias. It's yeah. quite natural to have unconscious bias, right? And the whole purpose of it is that you bring it to the awareness so you can mitigate or manage it more effectively. Mm -hmm. But there is institutional bias in the recruitment processes. Oh, God, yeah. In the developing process, like the, the whole HR employee life cycle, talent life cycle, mm. there can be bias at every single facet. Mm. There can be bias in terms of your your promotion <laughs> review. There's going to be bias in yeah. terms of your performance and development. There'll be bias in terms of your recruitment and your attraction. There'll be bias even when you leave. Mm -hmm. So when you leave, they're not going to ask you about it for no exit interview because they really don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that, 
you know, when, uh, uh, you know, just being, just rolling out unconscious bias is not just a tick box. I think some organizations might do it as a tick box, but actually unconscious bias is deeply rooted in who we are as individuals and equally the organization as well and you cannot just roll out unconscious bias and be like okay cool like we're we're our unbiased organization because that's not normal that's not possible however what you can do is really investigate and hold the business to account Mm -hmm. in terms of raw we have a problem and actually just rip off the lids if i'm honest i agree i agree Sorry, that was a very long... No, uh, but I agree. You definitely... Like, that's what I mean. That is what you're saying is 100% correct. Because you can put in as much unbiased, con- unconscious bias training in. You can roll out as many programs as you want. But when you say, like you said, uh, uh, it's deeply ingrained within the HR and hiring process anyway. So 100%. where is your unconscious bias? Where are you trying to actually... Where are you trying to change things? You can change yeah. it in how I work with my colleagues and say, well, mm. you know, maybe maybe you're calling Latoya angry because that's your you have a bias on that group, that racial group and how they mm-hmm. respond to things. But what about when someone is um, looking at a CV or an application and they're declining someone because of their surname? A hundred percent. Interesting stats. People with a non-Western name mm-hmm. have to submit 30% more applications in comparison to people with Western name mm-hmm. in the United States, in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. and Western countries. A hundred percent. hundred percent. It's nuts. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think that everyone might feel that, oh yeah, we, you know, we've moved the needle in terms of diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion in the workplace. And I do feel, yes, there's been elements of us moving the needle, mm-hmm. but I feel it's moving the needle in terms of, there being a chief diversity officer. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's it. I just feel that you brought somebody in and that's your nod to, okay, cool. Yeah. We've got someone who looks after IND when actually, although yes, the individual might be the expert and can lead IND strategy, yeah. but it actually is, it should be ingrained and part of the organizational culture and organizational strategy. Cause I feel that there's a lot of organizations where actually the IND lead or the, the chief IND officer or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I would question how close they are in the design of mm. the organization and equally the design of, of, of the organizational strategy and structure that mm. I, I that's I don't, I don't really have an answer i just feel that it's a very tick box um so yet yeah, to your point like For you sure. know like it's not yeah i mean i've I definitely been tempted to change my name on applications to see what's really? happening yeah because like i have like quote unquote a ghetto first name um as people Ooh. like to well that's what people have said oh your name's ghetto okay it's the name i was given i know because latoya is such a you know, an American kind of get, yeah, it's a ghetto name. People, I've been told that. Um, it's a bit like, it's very black, isn't it? Like, it's very like Latonia, Letitia, Latoya is one of those names. Um, I love my name, so I, I I wouldn't want to change it. And my surname is obviously Ghanaian. Um, yeah. And I had quibbled about taking, like, changing my name when I got married and stuff. And I did for a bit. And I was like, actually, I really like my surname. My mum doesn't have any sons. So that was my decision to keep my name. Not because I, I'm adverse to people, women changing their name when they get married. It's just because we don't have any sons. And I just wanted to keep my name for me, it's a, you know, if, if I have a son, at least then, like, my name's still in there. Do you know what I mean? So... <laughs> Um, I have definitely thought, why am I not getting called at least for an interview? 
um, when I was doing fashion and I was trying to break into, even to get like a fucking assistant job, like as in all you're doing is probably like cutting up patterns and storing them away yeah. in scissors for the studio. I couldn't even get an interview for that. Like couldn't mm. even get an interview for the most basic job. And time and time again, I was like, is it because of my name? Is it because of my name? And I just didn't want to, I didn't want to believe that because I thought that's not fair, but I'm sending, I've still got a folder in my email inbox of all the applications. I mean, there's over a hundred uh. that I was sending. Um, I think partly changing over to going to teach. And at least I know that like, it's not as they want, they wanted diversity at that time when I applied to do teaching. So I knew that it wouldn't be as hard to get a job and I had black teachers. So I knew it wasn't impossible, mm. but I definitely know of when I was teaching, I was speaking to a colleague who was talking about um, his wife. It was Kenyan. And in Kenya, mm. she is a teacher. She was um, qualified. But over here, she could not get even a job as like a TA. She couldn't even get that because of her name was really like strongly like Kenyan. Yeah. So she changed her name and sent an application in. She sent her application. And I know people have done this. So you quite often hear about it. But he was telling me that she sent two CVs in for a job, one with an English name, taking his name and changing her first name and her name. And she got an interview for using his name. And it's really, that's very, you hear that all the time, like changing your name and to something a little bit more palatable, a little bit more English sounding. And there's a little bit more trust. And I know of, I know my sister's not going to like want me to give details, but she, she knows of people in recruitment. And it's absolutely a fact that if you have a surname that does not sound English, sounds a bit too African or a little bit too ghetto, it gets thrown in the bin. Yeah, it gets thrown in the bin because, A, I think that, the, and it's really sad because it's almost, yeah, okay, cool, the education or their competence doesn't meet up to European Western standards. Yeah. And that's really disappointing. Or equally, sometimes they don't even look at it because they're just like, it's too hard to pronounce, so the higher manager is not going to be able to pronounce <laughs> the name. Right. And that's just such a disrespect. Like, right. literally, you throw my application in the bin just because you can't pronounce my name. I think for me, obviously, my names are very white. Yeah. Uh, you at Gordon Campbell. Yeah. Let's be real, it's my slave names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, but you at Gordon Campbell and I don't that I ne- I haven't necessarily experienced I don't experience that in terms of me having to submit more applications. Mm. What I do experience though is when I step in for the door and right. go for the interview, they don't expect a six foot two black man to walk in the door. Mm. Right. And although they don't overtly say it, you can feel the shift and they're like, Oh, you at Gordon Campbell? And they're looking around, looking for what. And when I stand up, they're like, oh. oh. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it is me. Thank mm-hmm. you. And it's very interesting for the first kind of, like, and if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I think it's been, yeah, probably 75% of the time that I've gone for like job interviews or if I've gone to appointments, even in the doctor, the doctor's surgery, they are very, they don't expect me to walk in. Mm-hmm. And that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit disappointing, but I don't know what it feels like to submit over, you know, 30% more um, uh, seat applications in comparison to others. Mm-hmm. And I know that probably is super, super, super frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, really, I appreciate really that a lot of now places now, and I think it should be a standard across the country that it should be blind, uh, blind recruitment and that you should not be able to uh, CVs. When I see having 10 CVs, I, I totally, I just bulk at the idea of it because I think it should be 
blind recruitments and it shouldn't yeah. be open. So people are being employed on merit and not because of positive discrimination. Though I appreciate positive discrimination and I'm not going to yeah. say it's a terrible thing, especially for certain sectors where we are severely underrepresented. However, yeah. um, I don't like tokenism because some places will have yeah. their one black and they've ticked the box or the one Asian Literally. in the box and it's it's not cool. Yeah, no, you're you're so right. You're so you're so right. You know, there's a lot from the if in the attraction recruitment phases. There's so much more that organisations can do. Mm -hmm. Like again, it is around looking at the job boards that you use in terms of to even attract the talent yeah. in the first place. You need to be looking at your job descriptions. Are you using? And it's not even from. Are you just using inclusive language from a perspective? Looking at your job descriptions, is there job? Is there words that are more masculine orientated yeah. in comparison? So at Actually, like straight away, when you read the job description that puts off a woman mm -hmm. and maybe a woman of color, like, are you removing? There's so much more that we organizations can do. And you know what? A big thing comes down to data as well, mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily have the data or I don't think organization. And I appreciate that it can be a little bit difficult in other European countries. But I definitely think like in the UK, obviously, we've got the gender pay gap, mm. which I think is a bit dated, if I'm on it. Yeah. I think gender pay gap is a bit dated. I don't think it really gives you a true reflect. And that's uh, that's almost like a, a legislation, obviously, that drives uh, mm. gender, uh, equal pay and parity yeah. uh, amongst the gender. But actually, where we have a large population of the community that don't even identify as a gender, why are you even going to call it gender pay gap? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And equally, there's a lot of organisations, you don't have to, um, organisations don't necessarily need to disclose on ethnicity mm. in terms of pay gap. Make it a legislation. Yeah. Make it a legislation. Absolutely. It's great that you're doing from a unit from a from a UK perspective. You know, you want to find out. Okay, how how what is the percentage of women's paid less in comparison to men? But if we know already that the gender pay gap is dated, f flex it up, change it up, mm -hmm. force organisations to be more inclusive in terms of gender and how people identify, and equally their 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 ethnicity as well. Because okay. I guarantee you, yeah, I guarantee you. The government's going to be going back on their their, their <laughs> racial commission report Absolutely. that they really need here, and they'll be like, "Okay, cool, we've got to do something." Yeah. So there's a lot of things that organisations can do, and I, again, it comes down for the data, and you don't even need the government to even tell you. Mm -hmm what to do you can just do it yourself and that just looks epic because it looks like you're willing to actually look inwards and understand the root for cause sure. of the problems in order for you to then supply the right intervention for an underrepresented group aka the black minority um uh, eth ethnic group i agree boop, boop. sorry i went on a spill sorry <laughs> oh my god i love it no it's good out to the people. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we mentioned we're going to explore allyship, 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 allyship. Um, yeah. And what that looks like. I think we've touched on it on previous episodes anyway, what we kind of think about it. But I guess we want to delve a little bit deeper um, about it in the workplace. I mean, I do I look for allies in the workplace? At the moment, generally I don't because I feel like the UK workplace is a dog-eat-dog -dog scenario. It is survival of the fittest. It is fit in, get in, shut up, do your job, 
um, do it to the best of your standard because we need to make the company money. Um, come in if you're sick. You know, if your child is ill, that's not my concern. You better come to work. Not saying my workplace is like this. I'm saying that this is a general, you know, I think most people say this is consensus. Um, you know, you come back to work before your child is even one because you must come back to work. Um, dads don't get much parental leave. Anyway, we are being told to spend £10 at prayer every day um, to keep the economy going. So in terms of like what I don't look for allyship in the workplace because I don't feel the UK fosters that kind of environment. Though I know that there are new newer yeah. companies, like when I think of your Facebooks, your Googles, um, you know, your Monzo banks, all your kind of new tech companies are really changing up the way that work is. You know, they're changing up. They've kind of embraced what the pandemic has done. And I think a lot of them are sort of like, yeah, we're going to be working from home in the future. We're putting flexible working for, for good. We're really going to make sure this is our diversity quote, um, quota, our diversity, um, what can I think of it? stance um and this is what we're going to be going with going forward we're really looking at changing things yeah the newer companies i think are better at trying to um solve these problems but in terms of like finding an ally i think it can be difficult because as i said it's dog eat dog and sometimes i find that things can be quite performative in that there will be things put in place like working groups or, um, you know, BAME groups. You know, I'm part of a BAME group at work. Mm. I mean, we don't really, we do meet and stuff and it's really, we don't, we haven't met because of the pandemic. But I do like that, that there seems to be a lot of rallying and supporting for what um, black and Asian and minority groups are doing. So I, I really, I decided to join that a couple of years ago, I think especially after stuff that happened in like with Ferguson and um, all the police brutality, I thought, do you know what, actually I want to join, I want to see what my other um, black colleagues are doing. So I've not been to Mm. meetings, but it's good to find out what's going on because Mm. you just need to know. So that's really good. But I think in terms of having like white allies in the workplace, I think they are there because nobody wants to be called a racist. And I think that that's very true. No one wants to be called a racist and said they don't support. But I said it previously when we talked about who, when to have conversations about race and who that responsibility Mm -hmm. lies with. I think that if you are truly an ally, then you have to do things to challenge sometimes on behalf of the oppressed group because you are not oppressed. So therefore you have a bit more of a play, level playing field because you're white also. So you can actually challenge things. And actually I've seen some really great examples, actually even where I work right now, where I've seen it and I've seen somebody send an email and we sign and it is asking questions about what is going to be done in response to this Black Lives Matter stuff to represent what is going on with the staff and students, yeah. etc. So I think that's wonderful. I've seen things like that happen. But in my working career, overall, I haven't seen much of what allyship looks like, allyship, sorry, looks like within the workplace. And I don't mm. really have lots of positive examples of that. Wow. I don't, in terms of, I don't have it. I have it with like the black girls rally together and the black guys rally together. And we just like sharing the knowing looks across the table and all that stuff. But in terms of like really galvanizing change with mm-hmm. allies, I haven't seen it. Personally. Yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah. You know what? I think that the whole, oh, I just feel that the notion and the whole description and 
of ally and allyship needs to be defined yeah. um, a bit more. And maybe some organizations have defined it uh, better in comparison to others. But I think for me, the whole, you know, the whole aspect of allyship is, again, I've used this, this phrase before, mm. you show up and you show out for sure for the underrepresented. Mm -hmm. So again, it can be from a race perspective, a gender perspective. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Anybody can yeah. be an ally to anybody. I think it's the whole, you know, being an advocate for others and amplifying their voices. Mm -hmm. If you feel that they do not have a voice nor a seat at the table mm -hmm. and it's not just, let me just rock up and be an ally on Tuesday. You're an ally throughout the working week yeah. right or you're just you're just an ally in general mm. i don't think you can't pick and choose when to be absolutely i feel that there is you know it is about i think there's a there's a um what's the what's the term that i'm looking for uh there's a there's an aspect of being uh, <laughs> <laughs> say, almost like just reading the room and reading the tone basically yeah yeah say. yeah i was going to say tone emotional um <laughs> call it intelligence <laughs> or tone that's a new tone emotional intelligence or tone emotional maturity or go. actually just having um, there you go yeah. tone emotional maturity or tone maturity having some sort of tone maturity where you're actually able to read the room and read actually what is going on and the impact this can have on a particular group or an individual mm -hmm. or whatever right and therefore you're able to use your privilege mm -hmm. and your position in order to support and amplify the voices of others. Mm -hmm. For me, I do think allyship is around standing by, standing firm, holding that, holding space. And I know we mentioned this previously in the part two about like, you know, when you feel like the only black in the village and you're on the island by yourself, you don't want to be on the island by yourself, but it is about people. You know what? I see you yeah, for sure. on the island by yourself. And you know what? I'm going to swim over and stand on the island with you. Mm. And I'm going to do everything that I possibly can do to make sure that you do not feel uh, a minority. You do not feel isolated, that you do not feel lonely. Mm. So I think for me, that is what allyship is. But I do feel that there is almost like a fine balance, isn't it, between almost that the, doing all of that stuff mm -hmm. in terms of like an ally or accomplice, um, but then when it starts to teeter into almost that like saviour mentality, mm. right? Because I think the saviour, I think sometimes, and I'm going to be really candid now, okay. I do feel that some white people don't really know how to be an ally because they might be a little bit worried that they're going to come across as like the white saviour. Mm -hmm. Do they feel that they can, I, I, I'm not too sure, I'm going to have to reach out again to our population, wigs and snatchets, any kind of like, you know, white listeners, or if you do, is that, a thing for you I do feel I, I feel I've had a one or two conversations before where it's almost like you know what, I really want to get involved but I don't know how I don't I don't know if I have the right mm -hmm. to do x y and z and do it in my way because I don't want it to come across as a as a saving mentality and just to, for um uh, what do you call it for clarity the saving mentality is almost you know you are you're seeking to position yourself as the hero. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, um, a lot of the stuff that you do is very visible mm -hmm. and it is very, I, I would, I would say it's quite, um, uh, yeah, it's very visible. It's quite visceral. I would say it's quite aggressive kind of like, you know, change. But then I think the question is, is when you're doing that, it's self 
serving. You're not doing it actually for others. Mm-hmm. Actually, you're doing it to to save yourself. Yeah. To make you feel better that you know you've given back. Look at them starving kids in Africa. <laughs> Let me go and build. God. Let me let me go and build a school. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. There's a lot. There's stop. Stop doing that. Yeah. Stop going in to. Stop going into Africa straight up. Yeah. <laughs> stop. I stop know. doing that to build a school. Like yeah. so. Oh look, look. I'm 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 I'm. You know, I'm building a well. What's wrong with you? I've met so many. I I'm actually thinking of someone I worked with as a teacher who was some missionary type Christian guy. Um, I honestly, I think that some of these, um, so I I don't know if people have heard of a thing called teach first where people from high, like they, they go from Oxford and Cambridge and they come and teach in these rough inner city schools for two years. And basically it's a fast track to leadership. They get pushed into becoming leaders. And I remember working with a gentleman when I moved into my last school before I left and I've been teaching longer than you, but you know, I should take tips from him. I was like, okay. Um, he thought he was saving these little black kids um, from a life of crime and poverty. You know, I see, like, he had a boy in his class and bless him, I love this little boy. Um, he was from Ghana as well. So I had a, I was like, I'm going to talk to you. You had a bias towards I'm him. like, I'm going to talk oh, to you bit. because you know, yeah. stop, stop fucking up for grandma because you're looking after you, you're taking a piss. Like, stop it. Like, I used to just say to him, don't let, don't let me, don't let me speak to you like that. So we had the kind of like auntie young uh young nephew That's relationship. Really and he's very sweet, but he's very naughty and was acting yeah. out and was doing a lot of stuff. And I went to speak to this teacher because that was his form tutor. And I said, Listen, he's acting up because of this X Y. Oh, but the thing with it, I just wanna, you know, he's such a sweet boy. Okay, he's a sweet boy, but he knows when he comes to you and he puts on the tears or whatever, you're just going to be like, poor little black boy. No, no, no. We we have to like do this for him. We have to... Lo and behold, let me not even get started on his GCSE results because they tried to tell me that I must learn from him. 13% of your class A start to C. Okay, 13%. Oh. Anyway, let, me, oh. let me not go there. Um, oh. And he left, of course, to go and do missionary stuff in Africa. After two years, he's, he's done his he's done his his crime, his time for the crime, and now he's going to open and do this thing. And it used to frustrate me so much because I'm like, stop this! There are actually probably like white teachers in London who've gone to like regular universities who would yeah. be great teachers because they are from the community. They already know. 100%, but you are getting 100%. people who are you're teaching them to be heroes. You're teaching them to have savior complex to come and teach in these inner city schools. They're going to leave after two years and then be accelerated to leadership. They are going to now be running the schools, running the establishment, the So when I tell yeah. you, parents, please do your research. Do your research about how long these people have been working in these schools. What is their background? Did you do a PGCE? Where have you taught before? Don't just look at results and you're looking at thinking, okay, well, they're getting 97% ASR to see. If your child is in the 3% who's not getting those grades, what are they going to do to make sure that your child at least is not lost in the system? Because the mm. people that they're getting to do these jobs believe they are saving our poor little black and Asian and Chinese and white poor working class kids. That's what's yeah. going on. So the saviour mentality stretches within so many different sectors 
even influencers, mm. okay? Now, I think mm. I talked to, in probably season one, I talked about <laughs> having a, a, an altercation. Open the lid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's going. I'm going on, in girl. about yeah. having an altercation. Or, or it might have even been season two, but someone that used to live with my husband, who was a roommate, a flatmate, who's now an influencer um, and model and has got a line and is and, and, and showing up as an ally for the trans community, the black community. But you told me that I was a monkey throwing shit from my pockets in a tree. Is your racist past disappeared? I don't quite understand. Wow. And when you were challenged by that, by me, I didn't get an apology. So are you really an ally or are you just somebody who, you're an ally for the sake of um, social media? Yeah, ally for the light. You know, so uh, well, I'm sitting on my information, my bad boy piece of information. And one day, one day. Okay. <laughs> One day when I'm in the position to do it, I'm going to call out your name, young lady. And I'm going to ask you to answer because I don't understand. That's why when I look at these people and I'm saying, okay, you're supporting the trans, you're supporting, um, you're supporting disabled people, you're supporting black and mm, Asian. Mm. Are you doing it for the likes? Because what you what, what are you saying in your personal life? Are you singing an N-word on weekends at Glastonbury? I don't know. Is that what you're doing? Like, I need to know what you're doing outside of... Mm the performance and the same thing goes in mm. the workplace it's like okay like you know yeah i i, I want to be part of this working group because i really care about what's happening with um you know bame you know communities but you're taking a seat at the table for somebody who is from that community but who you don't believe because you have the privilege of having white white skin that you can be the, yeah. the spokesperson the people who should be speaking about the issues are the people who live with the issues, who are being directly mm. affected. However, I do understand that sometimes people can use their privilege to get us that seat, to get that that in into the. Yeah, I understand that, but I I, yeah. I balk at the idea of you're coming to to save us when actually yeah. in your personal life, do you do that? You, are you an ally in your personal life? Do you stop people when you're having conversations with your friends on the weekend from other communities who might be partial, might be from a different small rural village and they're saying this about black or uh, Asian people, do you stop them in your, in your tracks and say, that's not cool? Yeah. Or do you just go <clears throat> in the group chat and then you want to screenshot and go on social media and say, Look what this person said. But what did you reply with in the group chat? I want to see your yeah. response. <laughs> or did you just screenshot and put it on Twitter to go viral? Yeah. That's what I yeah. want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, yeah. for example, I used to work in a school where there were travellers. And one of the girls in year seven, 11 years old, we were talking about, you know, you do a little PSHE and talk about racism and yeah. all that stuff. And she said to me, it is a slur to call the traveling community gypsy. I didn't know this. You're not supposed to yeah. call them gypsy. So my big gypsy wedding, all that stuff used to come on. It's a slur. Yeah, it's, it's She yeah, told it's me okay. at 11, quite that's too, a slur. Yeah. And I've not used it since. And when I hear people mm. saying, I said, no, traveling community, because someone has told me that. Now, I'm not going to say I'm doing campaigning in the streets for the traveling community. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is... <laughs> you were sort of laughing. You know, I can't that do that. Like, but I'm not saying I'm campaigning in the streets. <laughs> Me, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm the. I'm a, you know, but I will be an ally, and I'm going to stop people if I hear someone saying something. Uh, no, 
No, don't say that. 100%. 100%. And I think, you know what, as you said, it's all about the, um, uh, when you're talking about, I feel sometimes that it's fine to be, to, to represent and show out and sh- show up and show out for um, groups, individuals, organizations. If you have a, it's about the position, yeah. right? Yeah. But you don't come to the table and think that you're the expert in the issues because mm-hmm. actually these times there you are not. Like, so you're going to be educated. So for example, that you use, you're being educated by an 11 year old girl because you're not part of that community. Right. You're not. However, what you will do and how you show up as an ally is if because of your position in terms of from a corporate or schooling or teacher perspective, mm. but then equally your position in society, if you hear that, you were basically then challenged, yeah. right? And I think that's a really great example of what allyship looks like. Mm. I do feel that some people find it a bit difficult sometimes to even call people out on that behavior because they're just like, oh my God, I don't, it's quite interesting in that again going back to my point of everyone wants no one wants to be on the island by themselves mm-hmm. right so I feel that there can be an in-group kind of bias there they're like okay cool I'm not I know it doesn't feel right but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to say something to them be the, the one person by on themselves. the island by themselves yeah that's it isn't it right but I do feel that a lot of people need we need to have bring back individuality because actually if you are in a meeting or in a situation and you've got one person that is essentially South Asian and someone says something that is really inappropriate mm-hmm. and no one says anything to that individual or no one calls out that behaviour in some way shape or form or even checks up on the person who has the victim of that, mm-hmm. that can have such detrimental effect. Absolutely. And it doesn't even, and you know what? Like, I think it's really important that when we are challenging kind of like bias or challenging anything that does with like race or equality mm-hmm. for any sort of group, class, whether you're from a class perspective, a social, a economic, or a biological perspective, mm-hmm. it's really important that you are able to, um, you need to prioritise your self-care first. Absolutely, yeah. 100% yeah. and feel confident to do that. But it is really important that we come together as, like, humanity. Because these times they're, like, mm-hmm. irrespective whether or not I'm, like, dark skin you're white you've got uh, you know a, you are mixed race except it doesn't really matter we're all humans mm-hmm. like do you know what i mean it is just about the conversation it's about humans feeling valued mm-hmm. for who they are that's what's absolutely. most important so yeah no i absolutely agree with you in terms of i think it just comes in different shapes and forms mm-hmm. but i do feel that organizations need to do a bigger piece of work to really define what allyship is mm-hmm. and give people some real key tools that can support them in being allies yeah. and you know like yeah it is about the education but sometimes you can sit down there and just educate yourself for like till kingdom come but these time that was where the action where is it it's not there where's the action true. where's the action because you want to stand up there you've got the data now we know the stats we know that institutional racism what's next although the government determines that there's doesn't exist the cheek the the damn cheek of it I'm not even going to get into it right now but you know that you've got the stats you know that the experience is very different for women in comparison to men you know the experience is different for black women in comparison to white women whatever everyone knows it now it's about actually all that you've got this education what are you actually going to do with it I agree you need to put into a plan of action because like there's there's a lot of chat but I don't see no change. When I walk into a corporate organization, I'll, yeah, I'll see the one black leader. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know, the one person that sits on the board of directors, never the CEO, 
Never the CEO. No. Always a diversity chair. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Honestly. But then on the flip side, sometimes there's a lot of positions that I held by... About like white women for for uh, for diversity, like chief officers. Mm. I think, yeah, and that's really really interesting. Which I don't think, you know, it's not. I don't, I don't really, I don't really know how I feel about that. I don't really mind. Mm. You know what? I don't really care if the position is held by a black, white, Asian. It doesn't really matter as long as there is change yeah. and it's change for the better. That's a, that's the thing for me. That I think, I think so, and I think if they're right. consulting yeah. with the people who are directly affected by these policies or. Actually, mm. there needs to be a lot of consult- consultation work before things are put in place. Is it even mm. the right? Is it the right strategy you've actually chosen to tackle this? Mm. It might not be mm. because how does that directly affect me? It might not. Mm. I, I mm. might not make any difference. But yeah, it's, it's sorry, guys. We've proper gone in. <laughs> um, As always, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a lot. So I guess. What I want to talk about is um, change um, and how that looks. Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about having conversations and facilitating change by talking to our white peers. Um, What about talking to our black peers? What about within us? Because I, Mm -hmm. we talked about this offline, but I went to Britain Mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, And we talked last episode about black businesses growing and thriving. And there are a lot of people in Brixton who, well, Brixton as a whole has changed a lot. And I think people who are from London definitely know that as an area, gentrification has done a massive number on Brixton as a community. And I think that it is a, what I think is happening is that the blackness and the multiculturalism, the Caribbean community is being repackaged in a nice tasty um, morsel for white communities to come and enjoy. So you live in a multicultural area, but you yeah. do not have to participate in any of the multiculturalism. Just be here. And that's enough to show that you're not racist because you live in an area where there's black people. Um, in Within that, there are black businesses who have been there for a long, long time. And I have noticed, because I grew up in that area, that they have not evolved as businesses and that there hasn't been much change in the way that they either package and sell their products or the way their shops look or the way things are, are put out. And so what I want to ask you is, as black brothers and sisters, how do we make sure that our fellow business owners are sort of, they're growing and our colleagues are growing, their businesses are getting bigger without exploiting, um, without, you know, pushing down on them and saying, well, you're not doing it right. This is how Asian businesses do it. Because that's a real conversation. We talk about how, for example, like Asian businesses have been able to open restaurants and they've, they have got businesses. And a lot of conversation happens about the fact that black mm. people don't have businesses, even though, you know, as mm-hmm. a community, mm-hmm. we've also been here for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. African Caribbean communities have been here for a long time. How do we, within corporate, non-corporate, how do we do that? How do we actually grow as a community? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think the different the 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 other communities that you mentioned, the difference between them and us, and I, again, I'm open to have to challenge from any yeah. sort of wig and snatch it who wants to jump on the conversation. It's togetherness, right? Mm-hmm. It takes the many, not the few. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that when it comes to us elevating, there are a few of us that do that, but the many are not necessarily on board. So we want to stand up there and talk about, you know, what pro black, which is lovely, and you know, you know, I'm representing ride or die but are you really ride or die Mm. are you really Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it takes the many not the few and I do feel sometimes it is just you know oh okay cool like Latoya and you are doing X or Latoya is doing X so actually it's not my it's not my responsibility Mm -hmm. it's not my it's not my narrative of course it's my fucking narrative Mm -hmm. because I'm black yeah yeah so I do feel that it's very uh, the the, the difference in the community even you know the difference in the Asian community is that and I think we've mentioned this before on previous episodes is that it's a togetherness Mm -hmm. it is us you know what? I see you. I want to help you mm-hmm. because you are my sister, my brother, my family, whatever. Irrespective if we don't share blood, we share this the same struggle. Yeah, yeah. There is a togetherness. We don't have that. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't think we have that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there, some sometimes. I think it's very minuscule. If I was to give it a percentage, I would say maybe twenty percent. Mm-hmm. But that's just my personal opinion. I'm open to challenge from you and equally open to challenge from other people. But I don't necessarily feel that it, it is. It's the many. It takes the many, mm-hmm. not the few. And I do feel that sometimes it is a little bit. What's the word? Um, yeah, I just feel that we can behave in a way where it's not our struggle. And then and there's another thing that really pisses me off. I'm so sorry, I'm going Go into it. it now. And I, but I, and you know what? I don't really care if, if this upsets anybody. Okay. But I do feel that there is an, um, sometimes I feel, uh, I feel that we as a community can exploit the success and ride on the backs of others for our own personal gain Mm -hmm. without actually us really doing the work Mm -hmm. and doing the legwork and supporting Mm -hmm. like our whole community. And that's an issue Mm -hmm. because I don't feel that, that a, that's not fair. No, it's not. B, I don't feel that it's fine if we were to do that, but you have to help elevate how we operate as a community. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I I can't, I, I, and, I think we've been in situations before, mm-hmm. me and you, yeah. we know, yeah. And equally, I'm sure you've been in personal yeah. situations, I've been in personal situations where people and or, 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 or a member of community has capitalised on other people's success, but you haven't done anything to support me get to being oh, successful, or you're not doing anything to help the community be successful. Mm-hmm. So for those people, sit down <laughs> and take several seats. Yeah. I know, but really look, because it's exhausting. It's very and time. I don't necessarily, I don't mind, let's say, listen, if, let's say for example, we blow up, mm-hmm. we blow up and it's epic and we're BBC free, yeah, at, at BBC Sounds, Obviously, we want we want we want a slot, uh, <laughs> and we blow up, um, and we and you know we um, and others are basically you know falling in line or following our um, uh, our path, etc. I don't necessarily mind that because actually, if the person is supporting, elevate us as a community, that's okay. But the issue that I have is when people want to stand up there and ride out my success on my back, like I don't I really have problems myself. Mm, stop it! Stop yeah, it! That's true. Stop it! 
I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't know if that made sense. It does make I sense. I hope it did. I, I apologise. I, I don't apologise if I've upset anybody because that's how I feel. Sorry. I mean, I think you raised some good points there about um, people doing the groundwork and people not... It, it's like not carrying it through. So, for example, like, you know, you could think to yourself, even within a community, you know, it does take the many to do stuff. You know, if if... If we don't buy, for example, right, let's let's look at an industry that's definitely not dominated by blacks, but we buy in bulk. So black hair care products. hundred percent. We buy black. We we need so many products. Or we've been told we need so many products for our hair. We need all of this to make it look a certain way. We're, our hair is a, a battle from birth, really, and how it is, the yeah. texture, uh, the dryness to make it look presentable. We're not even allowed to bring it in its natural state. And I say not allowed because it's true in its natural state to work. You know, you're going to look like you're unkept or whatever. There's an issue around that. However, the bulk of our products in this country, I know in America, it's actually the Chinese community, but in this country, it's Asians who own a right. lot of shops um, that sell the stuff we need. There's even one that's Pax. opened. Yeah, packs. <laughs> There's one that's opened uh, in Tooting down the road from me called Afro Cadabra. There's nobody with an Afro who works there. There's nobody with an Afro that works there. There's uh, I can't one Jamaican lady <laughs> who sells the the wigs and the hairs. The like hair, she's in there. So they'll hire like a black woman, normally like a Jamaican woman, to work in the the wigs and hair section because they don't know about it. So they'll get a black lady who works there to help you choose whatever hair you want. But by the by, it's owned by Asians. In this area, there's no black, where I live anyway, there's no black um, owned shops. However, on the flip side of that, when I have tried to buy from black owned businesses, I've run into issues buying products so and I know some of that is to do with I've heard stories of the fact that suppliers for example apparently increase their prices if you are a black uh, business so if you want to buy the same stuff it costs a lot more apparently I don't know if that's wow. factually true or not that's through word of mouth yeah. that conversation with people so basically I've had run into issues trying to buy from black owned businesses um, in the way the business has been run or the way the service I've received hasn't been very nice. Um, you know, just rudeness. We've had the same thing, for example, even with Instagram hair stylists, there's a whole conversation about the fact your hair needs to be washed, blow dried longer than five inches long. Um, if it's broken, it costs more to do certain bits. I will charge 60 pounds extra if I have to come to your hair on a Saturday. All these things that I don't get from a white hairstylist. My appointment is my appointment. And I don't have to pay any more if she has to do more with my hair. And when I say do more, as in the treatments are all laid out clearly what I need to pay for. And I pay for that. I don't have to pay a £30 late notice fee if I unfortunately get stuck in traffic because there's people getting petrol and I'm stuck. Do you know what I mean? So it's little things like that mm. where you're taking advantage of the community that needs you. And that is what we should not be doing because we have mm -hmm. the money and I'm very happy to pay you my money to, to, to get the service. Mm, but you're mm, penalizing mm, me for being black. You're penalizing mm. me for being your audience. I don't believe that you would do that with a white person. And mm. therefore that makes me hesitant about buying products or buying services. When I look at black businesses, I do it for all businesses, to be honest. For me, I always check for reviews. I don't care how big or small you are. I need to see a review. But for black yeah, people, I think sometimes we don't want to say bad things about black businesses because we're tearing down the community. 
constructive criticism helps because if they're not Agreed. doing it properly, we must call them out. We deserve to have good service and we especially deserve it from people in our community because we understand the struggle. We already know that if we walk into shop, a, a, a few weeks ago, I walked into a secondhand furniture shop because I like to look at things if you can upcycle it or whatever. And I went in there. I didn't even want to go in, actually. I didn't want to go in because I said to my husband, I don't want to go in there because I just have a feeling he's going to be funny with me. I don't know why, because of the areas that I just didn't want to go in. Mm-hmm. And I went to the shop next door. There's two of them. And they were ignoring me. I was actually standing there. No one even, you know, like you go into some shops and they even give you a nod, like, just give me one minute. They were literally ignoring me standing there. They were serving. Wow. So I went back into the shop next door and he was really, really, really he wouldn't even look up at me. I was like, do you have this? What? Well, no, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't. I was like, are you even going to give me eye contact? Like, mm. and that's from a white salesperson. And this was a few weeks ago in Progressive England, No Institutional Racism 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine I'm going into a black owned shop. Yeah. You know, and you're rude as well. Like, I'm getting it from all angles. You might just be having a mm. bad day, but that's not cool. You know, I do yeah. know some really owned uh, black owned businesses that are fantastic and they really talk to you. And you, but I'm just saying, like, if we want to grow, it's got to improve the service. Yeah. The care for the community, the not really doing the research and just running the business. And it's just nonsense. You know, like I've, as I said, hair is a very clear one. Like these hair mm. stylists, you're mm. taking the piss mm. because you know, people are going to pay mm. it. Um, mm. So we, we, we got to do the work. We have to do the work internally and do the research too. And not just mm. right off, you said, like you said, right off the coattails of people do been success, successful because you don't know what that person's gone through to really get, for example, I'm using hair as an example, but their hairstyling business, you don't know what they've had to go through to get that business up. And you're thinking, ah, oh, black IG hairstylist. Okay, I'm going to do that too because I can do a few plaits. I can do a few cables. Mm. Meanwhile, your professional acumen is not even there. Mm. Canceling appointment day off. Turn up an hour late. Telling me I've got to buy my own hair. And if I don't buy my own hair, it costs it X, Y, Z. Let me go to auntie and go and get it done. Let me, yeah. let me go. <laughs> you know, and yeah, pay her you what know, she's worth. So I'm not true. saying I'm not going to pay her. Yeah. But if I, you want me to support your business, because you're saying your business behave like a business. That's it. Yeah. It's almost like, it's, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of stuff like, and you know what? I, I, I appreciate what I'm about to say um it's 50 50 I think there's a lot of stuff that we can do within our own community I think there's a lot of struggles that we go through actually as a community so I think it's a bit of both but I do feel that we need to start looking at yeah how do we stop aligning ourselves to the uncle tom foolery Mm. right to to support one another um I think yeah there's a lot of stuff that we can do um in that space Mm -hmm. I wouldn't I'm not going to stand up here and be like yo I'm I'm the biggest ally for their community. And this is what I do because I think everyone's on their journey. I think everyone needs to become those change agents. And I'm not necessarily, I'm still on my journey to be that. So I don't necessarily think that, you know, I'm like, ride or die. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot that I, that I think there's a lot more that I can do in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, you know what? Like I definitely, to your point, yeah, there's a lot of things that we need to, uh, to do um, for, yeah, as a community, like not just rock up, but show up. Yeah. I, you know agree. What I mean, okay, I've just rocked up. What do you mean you just rocked up? You know, you don't, nobody would it. Go and stay at home. Then. <laughs> Go 
Just go and stay at home. No, go and stay at home. Don't just rock Should. up. Like, show up, show out. Like, I'm here. I see you. This is what we're doing, etc., etc. But don't just rock up because these times there, I've had to kick down a couple people left, right, center, break through concrete ceilings to get a seat at the table mm-hmm. for you to then stand up there and be on my back. I I'm agree. sitting down at the table. Come up my back. Come up my back. I agree. <laughs> and I, I just want to say there's some like great organizations doing work to um, really uh, pay it forward. Um, so, you know, I mean, I don't think they've run anything for a while, but Black Girl Fest, I was part of that. It was wonderful for, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was really good, you know. I mean, it was stressful, uh, but it was really good to see Black women and Black businesses and Black talks mm. from the female community. There's stuff like that. There's Black Girls in Tech. Um, I think they do stuff as well. Black Young Professional, BYP, Black Young Professionals, they mm-hmm. actually have a conference. I don't know when this is going to go out, but they have a conference at the end of October. There are still some free sponsored tickets. Hopefully there still will be by the time this goes out. I will be attending mm-hmm. because I'm like, I would like to hear about, it's about leadership. Um, and there will be people from not just black community, but they will have speakers. Maybe that will inspire. But I think, you know, mm-hmm. really take note of the resources that are available there are people in our community who are doing the work and are trying to pay it forward but i think it's also up to us Mm. to make the effort to really and not be like oh it's because i'm black okay yeah it's because we're black but you know what it's because we're black that we're so fucking amazing okay like that's also what you've got to take because we're black yeah, yeah because we're because they're chinese or because they're indian or because they're white every community has got a fucking struggle Let's let's be real. We just don't all experience the same thing. But can we just start taking ownership of our own struggle? And I know there's things at play, societal factors. There are things hindering us, but we don't have to stay down. We just don't. That's my attitude towards it. I'm sorry, um, and I can't be is, around people who want to stay down. Good morning, Britain. Part three. Right. Good day. Good day. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, so I was Oh no, I love it. So what do you think then? Really quickly, I know we're gonna probably bring this episode to a yeah, close. Yeah. What do you think, like, you know, like what supporting tools or resources or things, things that organizations or we can do as a community to, you know, to support and elevate our experience? I know we kind of briefly touched upon it around um in um uh, episode uh, two, actually, Our Minds Matter part one, um, from a mental health health perspective but in terms of like mm. the corp the corporate ladder um and our experience in the workplace what do you think organizations can do i definitely think there needs to be some sort of pay it forward um scheme you know where yeah. like for example you know yes you can so for example in my workplace i had a black mentor um yeah. before lockdown who was a director and that was great you know he really helped me with confidence get my cv getting things fantastic and that's him paying it forward for free yeah. so i also think people should stop saying that they need to be paid because actually it's a charitable thing to help somebody who's not in the position to get to where they need to and if you're somebody right now who has a position that's quite well you know even if you're a manager maybe not high up take that forward to the ceos take that forward drop it in the inbox and say look i really think we should have something where we can train up um and help people who are from ethnic minority backgrounds to get the skills so even if they're not able to stay in this organization they can apply yeah. and take that to another organization and become managers and become mm. vice presidents and presidents 
So I definitely mm. think something like that mentoring is really important. Um, I think using positive discrimination correctly um, so that the right people are employed, um, you know, having black managers, especially if you are putting content out to audiences um, to make mm. sure that you're not missing the mark and putting out black squares that mean nothing. Make sure that you have somebody who's a manager who knows what the impact of that means um mm. you know from the community definitely for media and advertising that is a must a key thing um and i also think i think i talked about blind recruitment is important but i think making safe spaces for people from minority and ethnic ethnic minority groups to talk about their concerns that they're not being made mm-hmm. to feel like whistleblowers that they're not made to feel mm-hmm. like they don't want to rock the boat in case they're going to lose their job if they say anything. Mm-hmm. There needs to be safe spaces for everybody from any community, as I said, like so from LGBTQ plus IA, I probably did the wrong order, um, from the um, people from who have disabilities, uh, women's yeah. groups, um, you know, yeah. and obviously ethnic minority groups must have space safe spaces within any organization so they're able to speak about their concerns so that if somebody is mm-hmm. being a shit manager and is bullying them or using their disability or using their race against them in any way they have the grounds to go to hr and get that motherfucker fired that's what needs to happen no they need to be fired because you've got some fucking dinosaurs that need to leave these places with their oh, disgusting biases hey. you know yeah. making people feel small i know of people who it's very quick you know someone's got for example dyslexia and they have taken yeah. they've gone into an email and gone all over it with red writing everywhere you must do you must do this you must. that's disgusting why do you yeah. have to do that make that person feel so inadequate and small mm. because you don't know how to communicate properly mm. go to therapy mm. go to therapy and learn how to communicate properly that's that's me that's the end Sorry, yeah. That's the end. Woo! What are your What are your things? Yeah, no. So I echo everything you were saying. I think there's yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do from uh, you know, from the attraction and recruitment perspective. Sure. I think you know, looking at blind CVs, looking at our job descriptions, what job boards are we using? Are we attracting the right sort of talent? Do organisations do you see for a particular um, division or a particular role that you've got more, uh, let's say, South Asian males in comparison to everybody else? If that's the case, why is that? There's a lot of research organisations can do. I think organisations can get ahead of the narrative as well in terms of drop out the gender pay gap it really doesn't for me it's not the right intervention because i think people need to understand that the gender the reasons why we have the gender pay gap yeah is to drive and ex not expose but bring to light and be transparent in terms of if there is a um uh, pay parity yeah. in organizations but the thing is with the gender pay gap is this a moment in time mm. in the organization it's not a true reflection mm. on actually if women are paid less or more than men because you calculate obviously calculations are nuts but actually you're looking at the organization for a moment in time mm. it's not necessarily the whole year so i think that we need to change what that looks like i think basically just equal pay across the board yeah. just will support irrespective of gender it was or, or how the person identifies irrespective of of culture i think there's a gender parity across the board i mean pay parity across the board is massively important i think a big thing is around data as well organizations do not have the right data sources mm-hmm. or they're not actually because i think that if you're able to uh, get the data then you're able to make the informed de- 
informed decision for that particular group Mm -hmm. i think a big thing as well and i will i say this and i will um uh i said this on my whole chest i feel that sometimes organizations feel that the hr and the employee life cycle is something that is owned via the hr function it is not Mm. it is facilitated by the hr function but if you are in a position of power or position of leadership or management it's your responsibility to hold the lead the employee life cycle and the talent management life cycle for your people so that what that means is the hr function will facilitate that for you or the people set function will facilitate for you in the organization but you as a leader are accountable to ensuring that you demonstrate inclusive behaviors for all at every single point so at, in the interview when you're doing the onboarding when you're doing the mm. induction when you're doing uh, the the probation review when you're doing the the performance the appraisal you as a leader have the responsibility to be inclusive and i do feel that it's great that organizations are doing unconscious bias that's lovely that's lovely but that really isn't going to move the needle. Like, how do you go a bit deeper than that? Mm-hmm. How do you actually look at your organisational structure and equally your um, strategy to ensure that there is inclusion and there's diversity around yeah, that? Totally. If you already know that your board of directors are all white men, mm-hmm. you ain't got no diversity. Agreed. So I don't understand why you're going to continue to actually, and then send it out to the organisation that, oh, I'm so proud of this. You know, this is really like inclusive of everybody. Well, it's not there, is it? It's not. <laughs> it's not. So I think there's a massive aspect in terms of reverse mentoring mm-hmm, mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. So actually, yes, we have, to your point, you said about mentoring, but actually how do you get junior members of the organisation to mentor senior yeah, members of the organisation sure. from different backgrounds? Because people are not if I was a white CEO or a white vice president, I don't know what it feels like to be a black a, a, a black female. No, I don't know. So there's me standing up there and I'm flying the IND flag, but I ain't educated myself or even been educated in what you're experiencing. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely think yeah, the whole aspect of reverse mentoring is must be important. And then um, I think sometimes you know what you need to do: harvest out the nonsense. Mm. It's a cull. Get rid, Get of, them. rid of them. I'm talking war. The, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, <laughs> kind of get rid, no, it's get true. rid of them because there's sometimes people, and you know what? Props to them. Organizations have moved mm-hmm. in terms of the, the agenda around IND and diversity and, you know, um, equality has moved on massively in the past two years, mm-hmm. like more so than I think I recognize really mm-hmm. um and there's some people that are not gonna move with the times okay so this is their time to go i agree their time is to go i'll be like no you are the weakest thing goodbye sleep now bitch. <laughs> sleep they need to go so i think organizers need to make the hard decision and sometimes these people could be your most senior person get get rid, rid of them get rid i agree get rid because if they're not going to be able to move with the times move with the business and not be an agent of change or embrace this which is massively important because it comes down to well-being culture it comes commerciality like everyone should have a fair chance Mm. then yeah i think it's their time you might as well open up the coffin now wow r.i.p bitch do you see Sorry, we got into it. Okay, cool. So we're going to close off um, part three of Good Warning Black Britain. Yeah. I've really enjoyed delving into it's this. It's been very interesting. I've really enjoyed it as well. I think, yeah, you've opened my eyes in part one. 
where we didn't we disagreed. We part two, we, we're aligned. We came back together. Yeah, you know, part three, we're, we're, we're back Yeah, You know what, sometimes it's good to have these disagreements. I agree. It's good. But no, um, Wigs and Snatchettes, we really hope that you enjoyed, obviously, this part, this part of episode Three. Yes. <laughs> is it episode, th- uh, episode three? Episode, yeah. What, you, uh, really hope that you enjoyed part three of episode three. Good morning, Black Britain. Um, you know, as we said in this episode and equally other episodes as well, myself and Natura do not like to feel that we are the experts. We're still very much yeah, on our journey. Sure. We're absolutely learning. We're open to opposing opinions. So if any of you would like to get in contact, jump on, um, uh, yeah, jump on email, drop us a message on Instagram. Um, and yeah, it'll be just really great to find out and hear from other people people's uh ever people's voices as well so yeah as i said um really hope that you enjoyed uh this episode um if you're not following us already please make sure that you follow us on instagram snapshot podcast you can listen to the podcast on spotify soundcloud and also our tunes also as well yeah. um <laughs> I was like, also as well as well um but until then we hope wherever you are, have a lovely day have a lovely evening i hope you're having a lovely week yes. have a cup of tea Absolutely. And tune and stay, stay snatched. Stay snatched. Good vibrations only. See ya. See you later. Bye. Bye.